Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. My name is Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE, joined as always by Scott Dunford, Vice President of Mobilization and Communications, also with ABWE. And it's a new year. This is the time of year that students are going back to school, college students, seminary students, people beginning to sink their teeth into that again for the new year. But another thing that happens a lot around this time of year is also missions conferences and people talking about sending. Uh, We have the cross conference that just happened and uh, some other things that we're excited about. You know, through all this conversation, there's a lot of buzz and excitement about mobilizing college students and seminary students and thinking through, you know, if you're in your 20s, if you're in that phase of life, what does it look like to take an intentional step towards pursuing missions, right, Scott? But it's it's also, um, it can be hard to, one, if you're in that phase of life to figure out what to do next. Two, if you're working with discipling someone in that phase of mm-hmm. life to figure out what to do next. But I'm, I'm super excited for our guest today uh, because I think we really have the cream of the crop as far as experts on this topic. We're really excited to introduce to you today uh, the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, a leader in the Southern Baptist Convention. And someone who's really known for, I think, two things. One is a passion for expository preaching and the Word of God. And then secondly, or maybe even this would be first, but a passion for mobilizing people for the Great Commission. When I think of Southeastern Seminary, I think of a a heart to see the nations one for Christ. Mm. And so, Dr. Aiken, thank you for joining us. We know you're a busy man, and we appreciate not only your heart for missions, but your willingness to take a little bit of time to talk to us about this important topic. Well, guys, I'm glad to do this. Uh, I can't think of anything I enjoy talking about more related to our Savior than the Great Commission. You know, it's the final marching orders that he gave to the church in Matthew 28. And I always said our students here, if that is what was on the heart of our Lord before he ascended back into heaven, that ought to be on our heart as well. And so I think when we're passionate to get the gospel to the nations, uh, our heart is one with our Savior. That's so true. Well, you have a unique vantage point from the president's office at Southeastern. What is your read on the average seminary student? And we can include undergraduate college students, too, just as far as, you know, they're coming in and as they're leaving school, their hopes, their dreams, you know, their fears and and kind of their wiring. How does that play into the way that you talk to them about the Great Commission in general and specifically how do they engage cross-cultural missions? Because this is a very unique generation that we're all working with right now. Well, there's no question about that, and uh, I think uh, each succeeding generation uh, changes significantly from the past. I'm I'm now 61 years old, and I've been in ministry since I was 20, so now over 40 years, and I've been in theological education approaching 30, and uh, I've seen massive changes in terms of how we do theological education, how we seek to do missions, but also in the students that come to our schools. Uh, I think the positive thing, uh, Alex, is that uh, this generation uh, really wants their life to count. They don't seem to be as badly infected as, say, their parents with uh, the disease of uh, convenient, Mm. uh, cultural, comfortable Christianity. Uh, They really want to do something that, that makes a difference and matters. And so they tend to be, seems to me, uh, much more open to going to hard places and much more open to going virtually anywhere that the Lord would send them. Uh, I will say this, uh, and here's three guys talking about this. Our sisters in Christ are far more willing and Hmm. bold to go anywhere than are their brothers. 
And uh, that, that, by the way, is not new. Yeah. That has been the trend since the modern missionary movement commenced with uh, Carey and uh, Judson, and even prior to them, an uh, African-American named George Lyle. And so I, I stay concerned about why and what can I do to motivate men uh, to, you know, really in, in an act of courage and, and faith, uh, put it all on the line for the Lord Jesus and be willing to serve him with the same boldness uh, that their sisters do. You know, we've noticed the same kind of thing as we're working in mobilization and dealing with new missionaries all the time. And we've asked that question, where are the young men when it comes to missions? From your perspective and vantage point of some, you know, at Southeastern, uh, a lot of young men preparing for ministry. I mean, what, what is your speculation on that question? Why does it seem that the ratio in missions is so heavily leaned, uh, you know, tilted toward women in missions? Where are all the young men? Yeah. Well, that is a million-dollar question hmm. that I have been uh, looking at, asking, researching now for well more than a decade. And what I keep running into is uh, lots of possibilities, but nobody can say, well, I can put my finger on it and tell you exactly what the issue is. Now, here are some of the things that people that are very much involved in missions have said to me. One, many missions organizations will disqualify someone if they have been active with pornography. Hmm. Well, we, we know that uh, though it's growing uh, within the female population, pornography is far more prevalent among men than it is women. And, of course, now with uh, all of the technological devices that we have, including the smartphone, uh, it's a couple of clicks away to be into a world of pornography. And we know that uh, more and more uh, men, uh, boys, are getting involved in it, and they're getting involved in it in an earlier age. In fact, uh, we take a survey now of every incoming class, and we'll ask them, it's anonymous, but we'll ask the question, how many of you would say, honestly, that you have a struggle with pornography and other sexual uh, issues? And uh, this is a very conservative, evangelical, Bible-believing seminary. And uh, when it comes to the male population, it's usually in excess of 75 to 80 percent. Hmm. This is not unique to Southeastern Seminary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is across the board when it comes to evangelical schools. So that one issue right there is a massive issue, not just for people going to the mission field, but people going into ministry right. uh, and people having healthy marriages and healthy families. And unfortunately, uh, our culture doesn't do anything to lessen the temptation and the availability of something that just wrecks lives. So that's one issue that uh, people have raised. A second, and I'll stop, let y'all continue, ask whatever you want, is that um, parents, interestingly, are far more likely to foot the bill for the education of a daughter than they are a son. And there is a wealth of documented uh, information that validates that. So, again, with most mission organizations, certainly with Southern Baptists, you can't go to the mission field if you've got a boatload of debt right. now, for the simple reason you've got to pay that debt off. And missionaries don't make uh, big salaries. Missionaries make what they need uh, simply to do ministry and survive. 
And so if you've got significant debt, that also limits your ability to get to uh, the mission field. And then I think the third thing related to that is men receive a lot of pressure in terms of, uh, rightly so, being the providers of their family, uh, which means they need to have the financial resources to provide for their family. And uh, if they're not careful, they can get easily caught up in that world. And if they start, you know, uh, doing well financially, you know, the Bible teaches us uh, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And I can tell you in my own experience over the years, I've watched men that were really passionate, on fire. They were going to do something great for God. Uh, they got a job. They started making money. And the next thing you know, it never happens. Hmm. So those are two or three things that I've observed over the last years that, again, are not totally uh, unique to the male species, but it's far more prevalent among men uh, than it is women. Yeah, All I a, three of them. I have a question or at least a, a thought. I, growing up, I remember even just in, you know, in junior church and Sunday school and hearing these stories about these missionary heroes, you know, like guys like Hudson Taylor were someone that you liked to hear their stories. They were kind of an example of, 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 uh, you know, male Christian uh, leadership. You know, yeah. so you hear these stories of John Patton and William Carey and Hudson Taylor and Adoniram Judson, and these were exemplified as the heroes and the guys you'd look up to. I, you know, I mm-hmm. wonder who are the missionary heroes that this younger generation look up to, or do they even see missionaries as someone to be looked up to? Instead, I wonder, you know, are young men in seminary, are they, you know, why, why is it that missions isn't something that they're considering as much as maybe Maybe they're considering, hey, I want to be the next professor. I want to be the next uh, megachurch pastor. I, I wonder if there's a correlation to who we're showing them and their desires uh, for their ministry it's, it future. It seems like all the current Christian celebrities are pulpiteers and not missionaries. Yeah, and I don't know if that's I a problem that or is, not. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on I that? Think that's a, I think that's a great observation on y'all's part. A couple of things. Number one, almost all the men you just mentioned— had tremendous support for what they did from their parents. Hmm. Uh, John Patton went to the mission field. He tells you because of my dad. Hmm. Um, you look at uh, uh, others uh, that will, Hudson Taylor, that he knew he was going to be a missionary when he was a small child hmm. uh, because of the influence of his parents. Hmm. Perhaps the most well-known missionary of the 20th century was Jim Elliott. Uh, if you read uh, Elizabeth's works on, on Jim's life, Jim will tell you no one impacted his life for what he did like his father. And his father was highly uneducated, but he, I still remember in uh, his, um, in his uh, writings, in his uh, diary, he says, my father didn't know theology, but he knew God. Hmm. And it shamed me hmm. when I many times reflect upon how close he was to God in spite of his lack of education and how with all my education, I wasn't anything like and, and God used that to inspire these, these men. So I think in part, uh, there was tremendous uh, encouragement from their family and uh, they, as a very young age. And I would say this to parents today, their moms and dads were talking to them about not growing up, getting a big education, and making a lot of money, but their parents were talking to them about growing up to be a missionary. Mm. And I don't think, you know, if you if we were to ask today, how many parents do that, 
that are not on the mission field. That's, don't, don't count them because I understand that. And I watch here at Southeastern generation after generation after generation of, of missionaries who came from missionary parents and missionary grandparents. But who here today is saying to their children, I want you to grow up not necessarily to be a sports star or grow up to get a great job and make a lot of money, but I pray that you would grow up and be a missionary. Mm. Well, that's going to take a completely, I think, reorientation of the way we think today because we just don't think in those categories. I'm, we just don't. I'm wondering and, if— And why? There's a, that's a great question. I'm wondering if that also you could extrapolate that on to even just the role of the pastor. You know, for every William yeah. Carey, there's an Andrew Fuller. Um, but also, you know, if, if Pat, the, the churches I see that are great sending churches also have pastors that champion the cause of, of missions. You know, um, you know, you, you some of these guys, you know, I mean, one of them is your president, the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer. You know, like he, he talks and bleeds and, and thinks and oozes missions. And as a result, he's got a church that sends out scores of scores of missionaries. And I wonder if, if that's something that's being lost in the pulpits today of pastors that put forward missions as something to be something to as a goal for their people. I think you guys are exactly correct on that. Your church will be passionate about what you're passionate about as the pastor. And so if you as a pastor are passionate about the loss, you're passionate about the nations, you're passionate about asking God to raise up within your fellowship men and women, boys and girls, teenagers who will go anywhere and everywhere for the cause of the gospel. Don't be surprised if that doesn't filter down. And so you're exactly right. J.D., uh, who's a dear friend of mine, uh, a two-time graduate from here, Summit Church, of course, is right here in our backyard. That's who he is. He was a, he was a missionary. He went mm-hmm. to the mission field himself for two years. And so he came back with that vision, with that passion, with that heart. And he translated that into the life of his local church. And because of that now, of course, I know part of it is on their size. And number two, their close proximity to Southeastern, which Summit is the number one mission sending church in the SBC. Now, interestingly wow. and, and very wonderfully, five of the top 10 are within 20 miles of Southeastern Seminary. Wow. Three of the top five are within 20 miles of Southeastern Seminary. So I realized that proximity to a school like ours helps those churches, but nevertheless, if it were not, there are other churches nearby to us that don't send any missionaries or send very, very few. And so I think you nailed it. It starts at the top with the pastor. Mm. What the pastor is passionate about is people will be passionate about. So there's a matrix of causes and factors in someone going to the mission field. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning that a current uh, person who's in the position of a, being a seminary student, or college student, that they might not be as encumbered by some of those comforts and conveniences as the prior generations, but there's these other factors, right? Like student debt, like uh, parents um, that maybe aren't quite as supportive in the lack of these missionary role models. And you talk about pastors, you know, part of what you're doing in a seminary is training future pastors, what's the role of a seminary or any Christian collegiate setting uh, in mobilizing the next generation of missionaries? Because you're not doing it in a vacuum. You have to do it in partnership with the local church, as you're talking about there with Summit Church. But uh, what what does that look like for a, a, a seminary or a Bible college to be intentionally involved in mobilizing missionaries? 
Well, I love the way you talked about us doing it in partnership because I often say that I think the best theological education takes place in a partnership between a seminary and the local church hmm. because there are some things that a seminary, and, and I choose my words here very carefully, there's some things a seminary can do more easily than a local church, but I would never say there's something we can do that a local church cannot do. So even a local church could have people that teach Greek and Hebrew and church history and philosophy and apologetics and ethics and so on. But a seminary is uniquely put together to do that more easily. But there are some things that you just cannot learn within a seminary context. You can only learn certain things within the context of a local church. I talk about the refining fires of a local church that <laughs> help uh, hone and, and make a, a good minister. Or, so what do we do? Our assignment is to serve the churches. And in particular, I think our assignment is try to infuse into our students what I call a Great Commission DNA, so that they're thinking Great Commission about everything. That's why at Southeastern, we talk about every professor, a Great Commission professor, every classroom, a Great Commission classroom, every student, a Great Commission student who will hopefully become a Great Commission graduate, who will go out and be a part of and plant Great Commission churches. So our assignment then is to try to help uh, fan that flame uh, and passion for the Great Commission so that when they go into the local church, they will be the kind of ministers that will help that passion and help that flame uh, just, you know, blaze even hotter and higher for the Great Commission. So that's our assignment, I think, uh, as a seminary. What does that look like for you guys as well? I mean, do you, you know, we talk about some of the factors that maybe keep some young men from pursuing missions and make it easier for uh, women to, to enter missions. And that's why, you know, you see the ratio is maybe a little bit skewed, but are you seeing young men entering the pulpit with a vision to be sending pastors? They may not be on the field themselves, but are they, are they catching that vision? And uh, what, what does that look like? How is that being adopted? I am seeing it uh, take place more now uh, because, again, it's being hit and, and emphasized so hard here that seminaries don't send missionaries. Local churches send missionaries. And, of course, that was one of the things I loved so much uh, about David Platt. Uh, when he was the president of the International Mission Board, David hammered that over and over and over. It is local churches mm that send missionaries, not seminaries. And so that means that we have to cultivate and train and equip and inspire pastors who see themselves as the head of a local Great Commission sending agency. Mm. Now, you say, oh, you mean the IMB? No, 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 no. I mean mm. their local church. Yeah. Their local church. And here's the thing. If you're a big one, yeah, like a summit, you can do it by yourself. But then that's the genius, I think, also of churches coming together in whatever way that they do mm-hmm. so that you say, well, we have a little church. Yeah, but several small churches can come together with their prayers, their financial resources, and they can send and they can come together and do that. And so that, again, is part of the genius of what Southern Baptists do. Most, um, I mentioned the fact that, you know, the summit's the number one sending church, but most of the missionaries that come within the Southern Baptist Convention to our IMB, 
They don't come from large churches. Right. Most of them come from small churches. And so it is the so a small church can be, they say, well, I, we're not capable of doing that. Of course you are. But it has to be a part of your DNA. It has to be a part of your priority. It has to be a part of kind of the, the drumbeat that your people hear week after week after week after week after week after week. And I just have observed that, again, and you, you hit it uh, again, hit the nail on the head a few moments ago, if that's what's taking place at the top, it cannot help but filter down into the life and the ethos and the mindset and the DNA of a local church. You know, it's interesting. We've seen, I've seen this personally, both as a pastor and now here at a, at a mission agency. You know, it's one thing to send dollars into missions. You know, the thought of missions ought to be compelling for Christians, but there, it becomes very personal when it's your friend who's serving on the mission field. You pray differently when it's your friend who's serving overseas in a, in a difficult place. You pray, pray mm-hmm. differently when it's your child, when it's your son or daughter or your brother um, that's going. And and so that, that plays a big big role in that, that proximity and that excitement that comes with sending out your own missionaries from your local church spurs more mission sending, I think. And we see in our own agency all the time that the small to medium-sized churches are often way better at holding the rope and sending than some of the larger churches just because they're a little bit more relationally driven and less program driven. So that kind of attests to what you're saying. I think you're exactly on target. And that's why we try to help folks understand it's not the... uh, um, uh, size of your church uh, that determines whether or not you're a Great Commission church. It is your heart, your passion, and what you are uh, uh, putting in place as priorities. And I don't care if you're a church of 15. You can be a Great Commission church by the way you pray, the way you give, and, and the fact that you yourselves get involved uh, in some measure, on some level, in going. And here's one of the neat things today, uh, guys. Uh, God in his providence has brought the nations to us so that America today yeah. has a plethora of, um, of uh, people groups, nationalities, and ethnicities everywhere. I mean, you'd have to be back you know, in the holler of a mountain somewhere, and even then you wouldn't be more than an hour or two from a people group that is uh, not indigenous to America. So in that regard, there really is no excuse for anyone not being involved in some way uh, on some level with the Great Commission. And just think of all of the university and colleges that dot the landscape of America, and they all have persons who have come from other countries to study here. And most of those people are lonely. They're looking for friendships and relationships. They want to learn more about what the American family is like and the American home and our culture. And so you invite them over for a meal, the odds are they're going to come. And you begin to love them and serve them and befriend them. You're going to open up the opportunity, open up the door for the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Well, that's what Great Commission Living does. No matter where you are, you can be on mission for Jesus if you'll simply be intentional about it. And then I'll say this. I discovered you're not going to be a Great Commission church unless you're intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens because you are intentionally emphasizing and focusing on that important assignment. 
Yeah, I love that. And it, it, this might be a good time to even plug a book that just came out uh, by one of the professors at Southeastern um, and a friend of ours, um, Micah Fries, who I think, didn't he also, I think he also graduated from Southeastern. Um, He's working on his uh, PhD here right now. Yeah, and he also went to Midwestern where I am a student. Right. So I got a shot. And he's a Green Bay Packer fan. So those are three good things mm-hmm. going. Uh, but they just <laughs> came out with it. They just came out with a book on Islam in North America, which I think would be a, that goes right along with what you were talking about of how do you reach and love on these people groups that are right next door. Uh, I just want to, that was a little plug there, but uh, let's, let's transition back over to the student side. So when you have young yeah. students that, that you're engaging with and they come up to you and uh, they're like, Dr. Aiken, you know, like I heard this message on the Great Commission. I'm thinking about missions. Uh, what, what, is the, what is some advice you give to a student who's thinking and wondering whether or not God's calling them maybe into pastoral ministry or the workplace or overseas as a missionary. And do I get an MDiv? All yeah. those, it gets yeah, very kind of, nitty gritty. Yeah, should I just skip my schooling and go right overseas? I mean, what, what's, what's kind of the kind of advice you give to a young student? Well, the first thing we do here when new students come in is we challenge them to raise and answer a question. And it's not the normal question. Most of the time, people will say, so you challenge them to, to ask the question or pray the prayer, Lord, should I go? And I respond, no, that's not what we encourage them to ask or pray. We encourage them to pray and to ask, Lord, why should I stay? With the need so great, 3.5 billion people with either no access to the gospel or limited access to the gospel, why would you not ask, Lord, why should I stay? And I've been amazed at how often God God will use that to begin to open hmm. their heart and mind to the possibility God may want me to be the one uh, to go. The second thing I say to them is in this co- in the day and age in which we live, uh, with technology exploding around the world as it is, you have got to know both uh, what you believe. And why you believe. I'm so grateful that Paul Little, uh, he taught at Trinity for years, wrote books with those titles. And so mm-hmm. I tell them, some of you just say, well, I just want to go right now and, and, and do the work of a missionary. And, of course, my response is, and what are you going to teach them? Well, I'm going to teach mm-hmm. them the gospel. Do you know the gospel? <laughs> do you understand the ramifications and implications that flow from the gospel? Do you realize that, yes, the gospel is at the center, but that Jude challenges us to be able to defend the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints? Can you articulate well the Christian worldview in terms of your theology, in terms of your ethics? And that's what a good education at a good school will equip you to do. And so I know that, you know, you're going to delay your going by two or three years, but you will greatly enhance your ability to be effective on the mission field if you're well-trained. And in addition, we're not only teaching you uh, the Bible and teaching you theology and ethics and history and so on, but we also have courses that are geared uh, toward uh, helping you in terms of method, in terms of your strategy, getting you prepared for the cross-cultural experience of going to the mission field. That's one of the reasons I'm thankful that at Southeastern, not only do we have several men uh, in our missions department that had at least that have at least 10 plus years of mission experience, but we've got two New Testament professors that were career missionaries. Hmm. We have a professor of theology, John Hammett, who was a career missionary. We have Old Testament professors that were career missionaries. 
And so I'm thankful that in these, uh, you know, more classical disciplines, you've got men and women there that can, again, show them how getting a good education will only equip them better to do good work among unreached peoples around the world. Mm. Yeah, it'll never hurt. You know, we've heard some of the stories from our friends uh, within the IMB of how some of the the wives of missionaries in particular and some of the female missionaries um, in Islamic contexts were asking, would you please give us more training, up the training requirements, because we're being asked such deep uh, theological questions. And in cultures like that, the men and the women don't congregate together, you know, in a, in a home setting for dinner, they'll, they'll, they'll tend to congregate in different spaces. And so they're being asked these questions and, and they don't want to, you know, even if you're, if you're a woman, you don't want to have to rely on your husband for an answer like that too. So there's a strong case that could be made for, for not only men pursuing this kind of education, but for women also who are seriously preparing for, uh, for the mission field. Well, I think when you're rightly preparing people for the mission field, you're not just preparing one individual, i.e. in most cases, the, the husband, the father, you're preparing the whole family. So what advice do you give specifically to mobilizers? That might be people who are professors who are involved in the, the seminary or pastors as well, or people like us who are involved in a, in a missions agency and who mm-hmm. do the work of mobilization. Um, and it, it can be encouraging at times. It can also be discouraging at times because the, there's always a need for more laborers. What, what do you see uniquely as being, um, it, because of this generation and some of those unique factors that you're talking about that you're seeing with the students that you work with, what are, what are some unique things that you would give to your fellow mobilizers to encourage them and help them to be more effective in building relationships and helping send people? I'd say two things. One, Challenge people that you have the chance to interact with to really pray and consider doing something great for God that will have eternal value and significance. And just put that challenge out there for them. Hmm. Related to that, and it kind of grows out of this one, secondly, raise the bar, don't lower the bar. I'd rather send fewer really good missionaries than more uh, less qualified and less effective missionaries. And so I would raise the bar not lower, but higher. And I would help them understand that this is going to involve a enormous cost, commitment. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be challenging. But the good news is that Jesus said, for those who are taking the gospel to the end of the earth, I am with you to the end of the age. And so, though I believe our Lord is omnipresent, and he is also present in every single one of us, he does promise a special and uniqueness of his presence with those that are taking the gospel to the nations. And you can trust that he will provide everything Mm -hmm. you need to be uh, prepared and also he will provide, will provide everything you need to be successful in his eyes on the field. This morning in Southeastern, we do this every Tuesday, Thursday in chapel. We will pray one chapel for North America. We'll pray the next chapel for the nations. Well, today we had, during that prayer time, one of our graduates who's in Provo, Utah. And uh, he shared just how hard it is in what I think is a very evil, wicked, Mm. dark place. I know there's Mm -hmm. all sorts of morality that you find within a place like that with Mormonism, 
But as far as truth, as far as the gospel, as far as rightly uh, knowing and understanding the Lord Jesus, it's very dark. And I said to the students, I said, listen, that brother is out there sowing gospel seed on not what if, if Jesus were alive today, he would not say it's on rocky soil. He would say he's sowing seed on concrete because that's how hard it is. And he said, you know, they've been there four years and they sowed a lot of seed, but they to this point have seen not much fruit. But then I quickly said, but never forget, William Carey, seven years in India before his first convert. Aaron Judson, seven years in Burma before his first convert. Mm. James Frazier, five years among the Lisu people group before he saw his first convert. But today, there are millions of Christians in India and there are hundreds, hundreds of thousands of believers both in Burma and also in the western part of China among the Lisu people group. And so don't grow weary in well-doing. God has promised his word will not return void. So I know we live in a culture where we expect instant success. Well, that may be a cultural norm, but it's not a biblical norm. You just be faithful where you are. You may not even see the fruit of your labor in this life. That's okay. Uh, either we believe God and trust his word uh, or we don't. And so help them understand the realities of uh, the life of a missionary, but also help them understand the incredible impact for eternity that sharing the gospel with those who've never heard or have never heard an accurate presentation of the gospel understand what an incredible impact for eternity you're going to get to make. I'm really blessed by hearing you talk about the need for patience um, in missions and the fact that so many of these missionaries had to wait so many years before they even saw their first convert. We had a guest on the show not that long ago, Samita Singh, who uh, is an Indian woman working in, in Calcutta um, with sex trafficking and with uh, bringing the gospel to those who are, who are caught up in all of that. And she shared with us how her family uh, history of, of knowing Christ goes back to William Carey, and they were among some of the first of his converts originally. But it's a, wow. it is a powerful reminder mm-hmm. that um, especially this generation needs patience. And you talk about someone like William Carey, you know, credited as being the, the father of the modern missions movement, himself a Baptist, makes us kind of think about what's next. Absolutely. And so these are men uh, that and women that I think can serve as heroes. And one thing I'll say, guys, I'm amazed how often missionaries know very little of the great missionary biographies, which is one of the reasons around here we just emphasize over and over and over and over. Read missionary biographies. Read missionary biographies. Let these guys become your role models and your heroes. And I'm not against the great pulpiteers, me, the men that uh, have uh, large uh, uh, um, podcasts and they blog and they speak at all the conferences. These are friends of mine, and I'm grateful for every one of them. But for me, our life now have become the George Lyles, the William Carey's, the Eric Littles, uh, the uh, Jim Elliott's, and, and the John and Betty Stams, the Lottie Moon, and I can just keep on going. Very normal regular, ordinary people that our God used in an extraordinary way. And that encouragement that you get for perseverance, as you mentioned a moment ago, staying with it, patience, it's just, its you don't find it, not being mean here, you don't find that among megachurch pastors. Hmm. You find that from these kind of men and women that not only uh, served, but in many cases, uh, they lived, died, and were buried 
among the people they went to reach with the gospel. And I just can't again say how that helps me work through. When I begin to have a pity party, I just think about what these men and women did and what price they paid. And I get over my pity party pretty quickly. Dr. Aiken, I have one last question for you. It's an honor to have you join us. You're a leader in the Southern Baptist Convention. You're the president of a, one of the largest seminaries in the world. You're involved in the Great Commission, and, and you, you have a vantage point that's unique. Um, we've talked a lot about the past and what's gone on in missions, and I want to just get your, your thoughts as we uh, close out this episode. What do you see as the future? Um, as you look forward, as, as particularly in Baptist missions, um, we're a Baptist mission organization. Um, you're very familiar and work closely with the IMB, which is the Southern Baptist uh, Mission Sending Agency. Uh, what do you see as the future of missions? We hear a lot of pessimism, like, wow, giving giving is down or, or people who are going are down. We don't have enough men. Um, what do you see that maybe encourages you? What are some of the things that concern you? What do you see as the future of Baptist missions? Well, let me start big and then end small. Big, uh, I have great confidence and uh, uh, tremendous hope. Why? Because I've read the last book of the Bible, mm. and I know there's the wonderful, we call it the great missionary promise in Revelation 7, where in heaven there are people gathered from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation around the Lamb worshiping Him. And so God has promised us that indeed people from all the nations are going to be there in heaven and worshiping Jesus. So that then means we can go wherever God sends us with great confidence and assurance that God is going to continue to save and bring a people unto himself for the glory of his son. So the the future uh, is bright and the big picture is wonderful and it is signed, sealed and settled and nothing mm-hmm. the evil one can do will thwart that. Where will we be in all of this? Well, I don't know. My prayer is that we will be on the front line seeing a part of the battle until the Lord Jesus comes again. That's my hope. Uh, but I don't know because I know this. If we ever lose the gospel, we're dead. If we lose the inerrancy of the Bible, we're dead. Because when you look at those denominations that law just go in the order that it happens, when they've lost the authority of Scripture— doesn't take long till you lose the gospel, and therefore you lose your passion for the Great Commission. We will continually be uh, attacked for our commitment to the exclusivity of the gospel. People will accuse us of being narrow, uh, bigoted, uh, obscurantist, uh, out of touch with reality, and the pressure is enormous. The pressure is enormous, and sometimes you even see evangelicals that will give ground. They don't go into full-blown universalism or pluralism, but, you know, theological inclusivism I think is just as deadly to the missions enterprise. And so we cannot lose the authority of Scripture. We cannot lose the gospel. We cannot lose its exclusive, exclusive nature. And therefore, if that then remains uh, a part of who we are as the people of God, then we are of necessity driven to get the gospel to everybody on planet Earth, which means we will have different priorities, we will uh, allocate our funds differently, and if that happens, then I think we have a, a hopeful future to be a part of what God is doing. As I say to our folks here, though, God is going to reach the nations mm. with the good news of His Son, Jesus Will we be a part of it or not be a part of it? 
that's the question. My prayer is we will be a part of it. Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. People can go to danielaiken.com or they can follow you on Twitter at Danny Aiken. Uh, anything else you would give people as far as getting in touch with you or connecting with your resources? No, just know all that stuff is free. It's just a way I can help serve the body of Christ. It's been so kind and good to me. And if people are thinking about uh, seminary or college, I always say just come give us a look. Uh, walk on our campus breathe the great commissioned air that's around here and i look forward to seeing you come here as a student (laughs) fantastic (laughs) dr aiken thank you so much for making the time to join us this has been incredibly enriching thank you guys it's my honor if you want to get more great content on theology missions and practice go to missionspodcast.com and while you're there make sure that you subscribe in itunes google play or your favorite listening platform and please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating and don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com along with any other ideas for future episodes and until next time thank you for joining us